Hey everyone, this is David from Wisconsin. I'm Jack's podcast producer. I just wanted to remind you real quick that Jack has a podcast hotline. You can leave him a voicemail at 920-415-4525. All you got to do is leave your name, where you're from, roughly, and then your question or comment, whatever. Jack really does want to hear from you. Again, that number is 920-415-4525. You can also text your questions to that number or email jack at jack.hager at gmail.com. All of those contacts will be in the show notes for this episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later. Hey, it's Jack Hager, and it's great to be back with you. It is 2022 or 2022. Whatever way you want to look at it, it's a new year. In a couple of weeks, I will have my spiritual birthday, January 30th, 1974. Richard Nixon was still president, but not for long. Jennifer was the most popular girl's name. Michael, the most popular boy's name. The number one song on January 30th, 1974 was from Barbara Streisand, The Way We Were. Christian Bale was born on January 30th, 1974, which really makes me feel old. But the most significant thing personally about January 30th, 1974, it was my rebirth day, the date of my conversion, the day I got born again, the time I got saved, whatever term floats your boat, and thus it's pretty important to me. Listen, before we go any further, you don't need to remember the day of your salvation. A lot of people get all upset when people say, well, I'm not, you know, you weren't always saved. That just doesn't happen. You were born lost, a cosmic rebel against a holy God. You were born a sinner. But at some point in your life, if you're a Christian, you were saved, converted, born again. And you may not remember the day because some of you have a glorious, glorious story. You were four or five years old when you trusted Christ. And that's really cool. But the bottom line, according to 1 Jack 1.19, your testimony should not be history. It should be current events. It shouldn't be looking back on a day. It should be looking at today. What difference is Jesus Christ making in your life today? What are you not doing because of your relationship with Christ? What are you doing because of your relationship with Christ? If those questions make you uncomfortable, well, maybe that's why the Bible says work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because I'm really smart, I'm going to tell you what that means. It means work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Don't assume that you're born again because somebody told you you are. Don't assume that you're saved because you went forward. But be assured of your salvation by the witness of the Holy Spirit and by other examples, other specific things that are going on in your life. We are not saved by works. We're not kept by works. But salvation works. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 are wonderful verses. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. But Ephesians 2, 10 is equally wonderful. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of bringing forth good works. Don't be afraid of that word. For the purpose of bringing forth good works, which God has before ordained that we should practice them. Friend, if you're really not sure that you're a Christian... Read the little letter of First John. It's only five chapters, but the mission statement of First John, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, friend, I don't want to argue eternal salvation or the fact that you can lose your salvation. I don't really care. 
What I do care about is that you need to know and know right now that if your heart were to stop, you'd be absent from the body and present with the Lord. And if you don't know that, something's wrong. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I have no clue. I am saying if you don't have assurance of your salvation, something is wrong. But looking back on January 30th, 1974, I was a resident of the Tom Green County Jail in San Angelo, Texas. I had been arrested on December 3rd of the previous year. I was awaiting extradition to the West Coast to face my trials. I was 26 years old, dumber than a rock as far as spiritual things go, had never been in church except for weddings and funerals, had no idea who Jesus Christ claimed to be. To the best of my knowledge, I was never witnessed to. To the best of my knowledge, nobody ever shared Christ with me. I don't remember ever being invited to a spiritual meeting. I don't remember anybody bragging on Jesus to me. I just kind of went through 26 years of life as a child of the devil. Because that's what we all are before we come to Christ. That may be insensitive, but it's truth. But in a jail cell in Texas, out of boredom... I began reading a book that I won't even give you the title of because it was Ding Dong City. What happened was they found some drugs in the cell, which is not unusual because drugs are easier to get in jail and prison than they are in the street. But uh, they punished us. They took everything out except what the Supreme Court said they couldn't take out, and that apparently was the religious junk. And back then I was dumber than I am now, and I thought religion and Christianity were the same thing. Uh, but after a couple of days of having nothing, literally nothing to do, I went over to the pile of the books, and I, I was a man. I did the crime. I could do the time. I didn't need this religious stuff. So I wasn't interested in reading the Bible, but I needed something to read. And at the bottom of the pile was a little paperback book with the word prison in the title. Listen to me. I'd been in jail several times, but I'd never been in prison. And at that particular point in my life, it looked like if they had my sentences running wild back to back, I'd be in prison for the rest of my life. At that point, I didn't really care one way or the other, but that was the fact of the matter. But out of boredom, I picked up the book maybe figuring, hey, maybe I could learn something about prison by reading this book, disregard the science fiction religious junk, and just read. So I'm reading the book. It was a story about a man who went through World War II, was an alcoholic, got arrested, blah, 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 and made the decision for Jesus. Again, I'm not going to give you the title of the book because there's some ding-dong theology in it. But at the moment, it was uh, just what I needed because he kept referring to the Bible. And as he kept referring to the Bible, I developed a desire to read the Bible. I'm not looking for God. I'm not looking for an escape. I'm not looking for a way out. I'm just looking for something to do. And it seemed right to me that, gosh, if this guy is referring to the Bible more than he is anything else, probably the Bible's important to him. So maybe I ought to figure out what the Bible's about. So I picked up a Bible more than likely provided by the Gideons. I don't know that for a fact, but I'm guessing it was provided by the Gideons which is one of the many reasons I support the Gideons. I cannot be a Gideon because I'm ordained, for whatever reason that is, but I can support the Gideons, and I've spoken at some Gideon banquets, etc. But anyway, I don't know for a fact that it was a Gideon Bible, but I trust that it was. 
and I began to read a Genesis because at the time I didn't know the Bible was made up of 66 books. I knew nothing about nothing. Somehow I struggled through to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, began reading the Gospels. Humanly speaking, one of the things that attracted me to Jesus in reading the Bible was uh, not the miracles, not the other stuff, but just the fact that it dawned on me that Jesus never had anything bad to say to the prostitutes. He never had anything bad to say to the tax collectors. He never had anything bad to say to the scumbags, because I could identify with being a scumbag. The only people Jesus ever blasted were the religious people, the people who thought they were cool because they didn't do X or because they did Y, the people who subconsciously anyway thought, isn't God lucky to have me? Jesus blasted them. If you're not sure about that, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see what he had to say to them. But as I'm reading the scripture, without my permission, the Holy Spirit, who I didn't even know existed, was working in my spirit to convince me that I was a lost sinner in need of a Savior. It wasn't instantaneous. It was over a period of time. And again, it was without my permission. I'm not looking for God. I'm not looking for a way out. I'm not looking for salvation. I'm just kind of looking. And as I'm looking into God's living, active, powerful Word, the Word of God, as it always does, did the work of God. Until such time, sometime in the evening of January 30th, 1974, I didn't pray the prayer that's found nowhere in the Bible. I'm not even sure I prayed in the normal sense of the word. I wish I could tell you exactly what happened that night. But looking back on it, I remember kneeling because somehow I understood that God was not my heavenly buddy, but he was an awesome God, worthy of my respect and my reverence. I remember kneeling in the cell. There were some other guys in the cell who had some creative things to say. But back then I was in pretty good shape and I said, shut up, and they shut up. And again, I'm not sure what I said, but I'm sure at some level I admitted that I was a sinner, not just because I had 26 indictments on me, but because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and I was part of the all. I was willing to turn from that sin. I'm not sure I knew what the word repent meant. I just did it. Basically, God, I've screwed this thing up pretty bad. I need to turn over control of my life to you. And I trusted that this Jesus was the Son of God. That he died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. For every lie I ever told, for every drug I ever sold, for every lust I ever lusted, for all of my sins, Jesus paid it all. And looking back on it, it's hard to know how ignorant was I. I know I didn't know anything about a trinity. I know I didn't know anything about the infallibility of Scripture. I know I didn't know the difference between a Baptist and a Nazarene and a Charismatic and a Pentecostal, and frankly, I wish I still didn't. I know I didn't know anything about eschatology. I know I didn't know anything about church history. All I knew is that I was in deep, deep trouble and needed a Savior. And because I was 26 years old, I remember the date. I had to look up to see what day of the week it was. It happened to be a Wednesday. I know the location, Tom Green County Jail. I don't know the exact time, except it was after dinner. It was sometime in the evening. 
as I trusted Jesus Christ. Because just a reminder, the Bible does not say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever prays the prayer. The Bible doesn't say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever speaks in tongues. The Bible does not say that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever doesn't speak in tongues. The Bible doesn't say, for God so loved... You get the picture. But you know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but will have eternal life. However, that's English language. And the English language is a mess. And the word believe is weak. I used to believe in Santa Claus. I used to believe that the United States was the best country in the face of the earth and could never make a mistake. I used to believe that I was the best drug dealer, thief, and pimp on the West Coast, and I would never get busted. And you know what? I staked my life quite literally on that belief. But I did find out that Santa Claus wasn't real. I found out the United States could make a horrific mistake in a place called Vietnam when I went there. And I found out, even though I thought I was slicker than snot on glass, even though I thought I'd never get caught, on December 3rd, 1973, when the police pulled me over and arrested me, even though I believed I'd never get caught, I got caught. So the word believe is kind of weak. I'm recording this uh, before the Kansas City Chiefs play the Buffalo Bills. I spent 21 years in New York, so I'm a Buffalo fan, but I live in Kansas City now. I'm a Kansas City fan, and I think that's going to be a tremendous game. By the time you listen to this, you'll know the outcome. I'm not even believing that the Chiefs will win. I think they have a chance, but uh, the Bills are a tough, tough team, and it should be a very, very good game. I believe it's going to be—I could be stone-cold wrong. It could be a blowout. So believe is kind of a weak word. But when I trusted Christ, that's what I did. I trusted him. I leaned into him. I cast everything on him. And I know just enough Greek to be dangerous. The word believe in the Greek means trust, rely on, cling to. And in some sense of that, because God drew me to himself, Even though I didn't know it then, I know now that the Bible says no one comes to the Son except the Father draws him. And I know just enough Greek, this will make you uncomfortable, to know that word draws means compels. All I know is that I was as lost as an Easter egg, needed a Savior, and Jesus Christ is and was that Savior. I trusted Christ. Old things passed away. All things became new. In my particular case, I didn't break out in tears. I didn't break out in a heavenly language. I didn't have any real emotional feeling, except I was absolutely sure that Jesus was real, that he was my Lord, that he was my Savior, that he was in my corner, that he had my back. In my particular case, from that day to this, I haven't doubted my salvation. I've doubted my worthiness, and I know I'm not worthy. I've doubted my response, but I've never doubted my... That doesn't make me better than you. Don't put God in a box. He doesn't always do the same stuff for same people. In my case, 
It was a done deal. And I know, and know that I know, that if my life were to stop now, I would, in fact, be absent from the body and present with the Lord. I know that my past is forgiven. At some level, I know my present makes sense, even though this struggles. And I absolutely know my future is secure, not short-term. I have no clue what's going to happen in the next second, the next day, day, the next week, the next month. But I know the big picture. 20 million years from now, I will be in the presence of Jesus. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. I am being saved from the power of sin. And one glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll be saved from the presence and the possibility of sin. How about you? Do you know Jesus? Or do you know about Jesus? For my money, the scariest passage of Scripture in the entire Bible is Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And the next verse, these guys say, But Lord, we did all these cool tricks. We cast out demons. We prophesied, blah, 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 blah. And the next verse, Jesus says, Depart from me. I never knew you. Friend, it is possible to do a whole lot of Jesus stuff without knowing Jesus. It is possible to lead people to Jesus without knowing Jesus. I know that for a fact. It is possible to have an awareness of Jesus, to think you're okay, and to split hell wide open when you die. Oh, Jack, are you trying to scare me? Yeah. If I could, I'd scare the hell right out of you. I'm just asking because I love you. Have you worked out your salvation? Do you know and know that you know? Again, like I said earlier, if you're not sure, first off, dear God, I'm not sure. Help me out. And then read 1 John. The only reason 1 John is in the Bible is for assurance of salvation. And again, my dear friend, I could care less whether you believe you can lose your salvation. I could care less whether you believe once saved, always saved. Because those beliefs aren't going to save you. Jesus is going to save you. But I am going to say dogmatically that you should know, at least at this moment, that you're a Christian. If you want to argue whether you can lose it tomorrow or give it up tomorrow or whatever else, knock yourself out. I don't have time to mess with that. I only have time to rest in assurance that Jesus is my Savior, Jesus is my Lord, that I'm in Him, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And because of that, I have a sanctified superiority complex. A lot of people think I'm obnoxious and rude and narrow-minded. Eh, I try not to be obnoxious. I try not to be rude. The gospel is offensive. I don't need to add to that offense. But I just want to tell you, I know Jesus. And He is not a good way to heaven. He's not the best way to heaven. He is the only way to heaven. Can I just kind of start wrapping this up by asking you a question? If you know that you're a Christian, and I pray you do, if you know that you're saved, and I pray you do, do people around you know that? If there was some kind of a time machine where we could go back and it was the early 1970s. 
and I lived next door to you, or I went to the same place as you went, is there a chance that somebody, meaning you, would invite me to church? Is there a chance that somebody, meaning you, would uh, try to share their salvation story? Is there a chance that somebody would give me a tract? Is there a chance? You get what I'm saying to you. Can I remind you that if you're a Christian, you're in full-time ministry. You may not be in vocational ministry, but you are in full-time ministry. You're an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in your sphere of influence, there are people who were just like I was. No clue who Jesus was. No clue what the gospel is. No clue about anything. And God's ridiculous plan is to use people like you and me to increase the population of heaven. So do you see people with Jesus' eyes? Do you understand that every person you come into contact with was created by Jesus Christ? Do you realize that every person you come into contact with 20 million years from now will be someplace? Do you recognize that you have this amazing news, this good news, this gospel, and that people around you desperately need to hear it? Will you invite somebody to church this week? Will you pray specifically by name for somebody to come to salvation? Will you recognize that you yourself could be the answer to that prayer? That God wants to use you to reach out to that person? You don't have to share the plan of salvation, whatever that is. You don't have to share the whole enchilada. Just talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Listen to me. People expect us to talk what's about what's important to us. Is Jesus important to you? It's been said that if your heart's on fire for Jesus, some sparks need to be flying out your mouth. And I get it. There's opposition. There's a devil and a culture that wants you to zip your lip about Jesus. And it's increasingly against us. People are not just against Christians. They're against God. And yet, in this dark, dark situation, the light shines brightly. And you are a light for Jesus. And let your little light shine? Yeah, sure, do that. But don't buy into the asinine statement, uh, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. That's often attributed to Augustine, but nobody can find a record of him saying that. The guy wasn't perfect, but I'm sure he wasn't stupid enough to say something like that. To say, preach the gospel and use words if necessary, is similar to saying, breathe, if necessary, use oxygen. Yes, your life should reflect your commitment to Christ. Yes, your walk should match your talk. But if all you're doing is let your little light shine, you're doing nothing. You need to speak the name of Jesus. And can I emphasize that? The name of Jesus, not the name of God. Oh, but Jack, God and Jesus, are, thank you, thank you, thank you. I knew that. They don't. 
And God is too nebulous. It doesn't mean anything. It means everything to us, but to a lost world, they don't get it. So we need to talk Jesus because there's no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. We need to brag on Jesus. We need to make him a genuine, general part of our conversation. How are you doing today? I'm doing great because Jesus is my Savior. Oh, that's corny, Jack. So what? So what? Talk about Jesus. Man, how are you dealing with this COVID stuff? It sucks, and I'm so sick and tired of it. But, you know, I have peace with God through Jesus Christ, so I'm going to get through this. Oh, but Jack, if I say that, I might offend my... Who cares? Oh, but Jack, if I do that kind of stuff, I might lose some friends. So what? Are you more concerned about their friendship or where they're going to spend eternity? Oh, but Jack, if I talk about Jesus, some some of my friends may not like me. And chances are they don't like you anyway. You might give them a good reason. Oh, Jack, you're so... So what? So what? What is more important in your life than Jesus Christ? What is more important in your life than recognizing that you're here for such a time as this? And you have people in your sphere of influence that will never listen to a sermon unless you invite them to church. You have people in your influence that may never hear about Jesus unless they hear about it from your lips. You have people in your sphere of influence that are there so you can impact their lives with the message of hope. Will you do it? Oh, I don't know how. Just tell them your story. Yeah, you need to read some books probably about how to share Christ and you need to do some other stuff. But if you're a Christian, you can tell them your story, your Jesus story. This is what my life was like before I met Christ. This is how I met Christ. This is what my life is like now. Can you write that out? Well, I'm not. Well, if you can't, maybe there's a reason you can't. Maybe you don't have a testimony. Oh, Jack, you still trying to scare me? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, Jack, are you trying to create doubt? Nope, I'm trying to expose it. Because you need assurance of salvation. Because unless and until you have that, you're not going to brag on Jesus. You're not going to try to tell others about Jesus. You're not going to do what you should do. Again, that's why Jesus says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And once you get that worked out, speak it out. Brag it out. Lift up Jesus. And if there's any way I can help you in that endeavor reach out to me. Shoot me an email, give me a call, do something. But if you're part of a local Bible-believing church, Bible-believing church, ask your pastor, ask your youth pastor, ask somebody. Be involved in a small group community and recognize it's not about you. It's about living a sacrificial life. Presenting yourselves as a living sacrifice which is your reasonable, logical service of worship. If he died for you, the only thing that makes sense is for you to live for him. Quit wasting time praying for opportunities to share Jesus. Just do it. Just do it. And God bless you as you do. Jack Hager, till next time, redeem the time. Brag on Jesus. Love you. Bye.